There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Nice to be back with you on Late Lunch this Wednesday afternoon for the longest week I've ever worked on LMFM Radio. Just today and tomorrow to do before the Easter holidays. Big thank you to Barbara Scully who did the great job minding the shop in my absence. I have to tell you, I was in Rome for uh, a very long weekend and it was absolutely fabulous. The weather, 21 degrees, sunshine every day. It was simply superb. Really enjoyed it. Delighted to be back. Raring to go. Lots to come over the next couple of hours as usual. We have giveaways, music and lots of chat too. If you want to join us on the show, don't forget the usual numbers. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. And I missed my little calendar saying because the first you see fell in the Saturday and I wasn't here Monday and Tuesday but my little calendar I read it for you at the start of every month better late than never it says today no act of kindness no matter how small is ever wasted and that leads me nicely into my first guest today because his role here in Ireland really has made a difference to so many people when I tell you that Jeff Nuffer has been the lead forensic scientist and investigator for the Independent Commission for the Location of Victims Remains since 2005 a role he's just recently retired from Jeff good afternoon hello Gary Thank you for joining me on the show this afternoon. I was saying in the introduction there about kindness and what you have done for so many people and and the teams working with you, of course. Um, You're there since 2005 and out of, what, 17, there are only four remaining uh, bodies that haven't been, or remains haven't been found. Columba McVeigh, and we know there's something going on there at the moment, Joe Linsky, uh, Robert Nyrak and Seamus Maguire. It's a terrific outcome, I have to say. Well done. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, when you took the job, give us a little bit about you and your background. Where did you come from or how did you uh, come to take up this role? Well, uh, originally I, I was uh, I, I was a cop in, in Greater Manchester uh, in England and um, I, I became involved in the... Uh, the review of the Moore's murder, the Brady and Hindley saga, mm. they, they were convicted in 1966 and both sentenced to life imprisonment. Uh, but in the mid-1980s, further information came to light, and uh, the head of CID in Manchester, a guy called Peter Topping, for whom I worked, um, decided to undertake a full review. And I was tasked with, uh, obviously, given the job he'd got, he, he was... Uh, otherwise engaged for much of the time, so I was given the task of conducting that review uh, and then, of course, reporting back to him. Uh, And to my astonishment, I have to say, he decided that we would undertake 
a, a further search for the two missing children. Mm. And um, we, apart from all the other aspects of this, we, we re-interviewed Brady and Hindley, and for the first time, they confessed to all uh, the, the cases, including those that actually been convicted of, which they denied throughout. Mm. Um, and then we found Pauline Reed, one of the missing children. Yeah, and there's only one now. Keith uh, Bennett's remains are the only ones that haven't been found. Just as an aside, do you think they will ever be at this stage? Because it's a long time ago, both Hindley and uh, Brady are gone now. Yeah, I, I think um, on the balance of probability, we know quite a lot about um, what, what happened uh, on the, the night of his murder. Uh, and it seems that uh, Brady dug a very shallow grave in the side of a peat bank uh, in a gully. Now, I, I think on the balance of probability, um, uh, and this is my theory, not, not necessarily anybody else's, I think it's more likely than less that, that the body was probably washed out fairly early on and mm. sadly I, I, I don't think he's there to be found any longer, oh my. tragically. Yeah, tragically indeed. Now, when when you talk about the Moors murders, all right, you, you have a, a background, extensive background in this work as well. When you were approached to get involved with the missing uh, here in Ireland, what, what was your view on that at the time? You know, you were coming into a very fractious and difficult situation. Well, interestingly, it, it, um, it wasn't um, put up as a, as a job. Right. It was, um, it was a three-month contract to undertake a review of what had taken place since the Good Friday Agreement uh, um, or, or the, the legislation was enacted as part of the Good Friday Agreement uh, and um, make recommendations on how uh, the case... The, 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 I guess the process, the project, could be taken forward. I think, in, in summary, uh, prior to 2005, this had been largely a reactive process where mm. um, I, I, th I think former paramilitaries, uh, Republicans, were invited to contact uh, uh, the then Secretary of the Commission and, and tell the Commissioners where these bodies were. Um, and when that started to, I guess, dry up as a process, um, they, they thought they'd get somebody to come along and, and make recommendations on how it could be uh, become a how it could be made into a proactive process, and, and that's really what I did. So, um, I, I completed this report. Uh, I made recommendations to the governments and to the commissioners of the day, uh, and they were all accepted, uh, and it was agreed that. Uh, this would be taken forward as a proactive process. What really surprised me was the next day I got a phone call saying, would you come and lead it? Mm. Well, there you go. You see things happen in life and uh, <laughs> uh, we, we don't often uh, understand how they do, but they did then and look at where we are all these years later. And again, I say okay. uh, the wonderful success you've achieved. You know, when you get into a process like this, and of course you need people to talk to you. This is the bottom line. People have to come forward and give you information to allow you and your teams to move on and do what you do. Was that very difficult in the early days? Well, I think it was. Uh, you know, I mean, we were strangers. We we were we were all former cops. We were all Englishmen as well, um, and that that certainly worried us. Um, but you know, we 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 
laid it on the line and told everybody that this, A, was a humanitarian process and the legislation uh, prevented us using information received for anything other than recovery and repatriation of victims. It can't be used in the court of law. It can't be passed on to other organisations uh, and individuals. Uh, and, you know, we, we stress the point that this um, this was um, information-led, I suppose, as a process. And if people didn't provide information, we couldn't search for the, for the victims. I was thinking about what you do and what you've been doing, and I, the words diverse emotions come to my mind because the families, of course, are at the centre of what you do and always, I take it, your prime responsibility and your duties to them. And then, you know, I'm, I'm sure you can think back to the first discovery when you when you found the first remains, the first yeah. person, and how you felt about that. And at the same time, what that means, the grief and the desperation of families, they are getting closure, of course, but you know what I'm talking about, marrying those two together is is it had to be challenging very much so um you know i've always described it as as a a, a double-edged sword uh or often described as a double-edged sword where uh we have the elation of, of success from our point of view and and some degree of closure for the families but but the other side of the um, coin if you want is is that it confirms to them uh, that their loved one was abducted, murdered, and secretly buried, and and that information wasn't disclosed for many many years. Uh, it's an appalling situation, really. Mm, appalling. Um, so, appalling. Mm. yeah, I, I think I I mean the first the the first individual we found was Danny McElhone in the Wicklow Mountains, and uh, yeah, I, it it was um, it, it, we we felt it was very successful, but we weren't. Uh, we were we we were very much aware of of what that meant to the family as well. As time goes by, information you know yourself it gets passed from one to the other. People have died who were involved in these horrendous times, and when people just disappeared and were never seen again, and sometimes word is passed on. Some survive, of course. That's a challenge in itself, a huge challenge to 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 paint the picture, to try and get to where you need to go to to find somebody. Yes, that, that that's certainly true. Um, yeah, I, I I think we we it's a, a multifaceted issue. This in that you're quite right. Some people have died. Um, some other people we are aware of knew had information on, uh, or, or maybe still have information on these events, uh, but were were frightened uh, or reluctant to contact us. Because their families, their friends, their neighbours knew nothing about their pasts, mm. and um, you know, you, you know, their paramilitary pasts, uh, and so uh, there was this difficulty we encountered in in literally persuading people to come forward. We've always said that ideally we'd like to speak to people directly, uh, those who who participated in these events directly, but occasions on occasions that that, that isn't possible, uh, as you say, particularly if they. That they're no longer around, mm. um, you know. So we're we're more than happy in situations like that to deal with people who who were not primary um, participants, if you want, but know what happened. Yes, and um, you, you make, know that, that's that's the only option left to us, of course. Yeah, you make a good point there about you know uh, people who have never spoken or nothing is known about them, and uh, the people would prefer to keep it that way as well. Yet perhaps at the same time, like to help you in in the work that you were doing. 
needle in a haystack, I'm sure you've heard that, have you, many times. Does that go through your mind? You know, when you're looking for something and you need to get to, as I said again, pinpoint an area and you've been frustrated. Did that frustration at times ever leave you despairing of what you were doing? No, I don't, I don't think we've ever reached that point. We, we are very patient people, uh, as I hope our track record shows. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're, we're happy to bide our time. If uh, if people, you know, people's consciences clearly on occasions have pricked them uh, and they've come along after 30, 40 plus years uh, to talk to the commission, either directly or indirectly. So, you know, we are patient people. Uh, we are painstaking people. You mentioned needles and haystacks. Our big problem is, is finding the haystack, let alone the, the needle. Um, you know, if we can find the haystack, then we're in with a racing shout of finding the needle. Um knowing roughly approximately where a grave uh, was located, where it was dug, and how it was dug, is crucial to us. If we know that, um, if we have the correct location, the chances are we can find the body. So the haystack is, is, is number one issue for us, really. Point well made. I mentioned the names that still haven't been discovered yet. Columba McVeigh, Joseph Linsky, uh, Robert Narak and Seamus Maguire. As you as you leave your role and somebody else takes on the challenge and Columba McVeigh has been in the news again recently, do you believe you can complete the list here, if I may say it like that? 13 found, 4 to go. Do you believe the day will come? when all 17 will be recovered or is there anybody there I, I suppose you're not at liberty to say this that you think perhaps not well I, I think they're all problematic cases there's no two ways about that um, but we, we are hopeful that if we get the right information um, that then we can most definitely recover them um, I, I think so far as uh, Columbia McVeigh is concerned we are absolutely satisfied that the information we received about him having been buried on Bragg and Bog is is 100% accurate. Um, the dilemma is, is the location we on Bragg and Bog that we've uh, that has been pinpointed, been pinpointed the correct one? Has somebody come along and moved him? Uh, I mean, it seems highly unlikely, highly improbable, but it, it, it it's I suppose a possibility we can't ignore. Um, so there are issues associated with that case um, that do concern us, do trouble us. We, we have very, what we're satisfied is very information about the, uh, very, very accurate information about how the grave was dug and what it looked like in terms of the, um, the, the, the ground that was excavated. Um, so we need to be able to find that, uh, that again. Uh, and at the present time, we're having some difficulty in that regard. Well, your time is up and uh, may I wish you well in your retirement from the role. And again, thank you on behalf of all the families that you have, you know, brought closure to. And let's hope the other four do eventually experience the same. And uh, I will mention your teams of investigators, the forensic archaeologists and the contractors who all worked under your leadership as well, who played a massively significant role. Thank you so much for joining us today and again, great thanks to you for all you've done. Thank you, Jerry. Could I just say that if anybody wants to contact the Commission, the details are on the website and we've dealt with the restrictions of confidence, obviously. And that's very important to say that the channels are still open there in confidence. If anybody has any information about the four names we've mentioned here today in our conversation.
Good luck to you. Thank you for joining me today. Really appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks, Jerry. Take care. Bye bye. That's Jeff Nuffer there. Belated happy birthday. I wasn't here for it. Thank you. And Ben Ternato to you. I have to say, uh, I, I heard I heard a whisper. Ava told me yesterday evening that they were talking. They were talking about Louise's birthday yesterday, gang, gang. I said, where are they? So it is our birthday today. And I they missed were. It. I wasn't. Can I just say that? <laughs> I, I, I'm saying to myself, cheapest. I'm amazed that that should kill me if I did yeah. that when I was there. It just I would shows if you. I was on the phone. Just shows you. Barbara can do anything. But when I'm here, I'd be just shot she stopped talking to me she take me off the air <laughs> anyway I had a lovely break in Aroma I have to say I just think I said to you is there any city like it in the world in my book no uh, it just we went we were there from Thursday till Monday and it was just fantastic and that's and why I says Ben Tornato which means welcome back thank you Italian. thank you thank you ciao <laughs> <laughs> ciao Bella <laughs> Uh, anyway, I, do you know what I'm going to do? Uh, you know how we love Italy, and I do as well. I'm hoping to. I'll, I'll tell you again. I'm going to do something as regards Italy, and I'll tell you shortly, I promise you. But for the moment, we're heading towards top of the hour news and weather on the way. After two, Lorna Byrne is back with us on this show, Angels in My Hair, a famous book, but taking us to the top of the hour. It's picture this and unconditional on your late lunch. It's magic. I don't know what it is, but we have it. So Joe Biden on the way to the Wee County next week. Uh, details, I'm sure, will emerge over the next while of where he's going, uh, what he's going to do, who he's going to visit. But the excitement builds. And isn't it wonderful that he's coming back as the president? What a visit to the island. Four days north and south. And uh, a lot of people really happy in Louth and Mayo, of course, where he has big family roots too. But lots of other places to be visited. But the serious end, of course, is the uh, marking of the anniversary of the Good Friday. Friday agreement and earlier on in the show of you're with us we were talking to a man who was deeply involved in that process searching for the uh, bodies of those missing uh, Jeff Nuffer with us a little earlier on on the show now moving on this afternoon on late lunch my next guest I remember meeting her many moons ago and when I tell you she came to studio to us here in Drogheda I'll always forget re- remember should I say our conversation because when you reflect on what she's achieved her books have been translated into 30 languages, published in over 50 countries. And the one I have sitting beside me here, well, it's regarded as a seminal work. It's called Angels in My Hair by Lorna Byrne. And it's back out, reprinted again now. Lorna, welcome back. Um, thank you um, so much to have me on your show again. And I would love to be there in person, but I, I know I'm not. I'm, I'm here at home. Well, you know what? It's great to have you one way or the other and you're coming through loud and clear. You must be thrilled. This book alone has sold millions and it's out again. Was it the demand to rerun it again? Why has it been republished, Lorna? Um, Well, my publisher got in touch with me and just said, you know, they wanted to republish it Mm. and would I do a new chapter for it? Yes. And I was excited about that, um, a bit nervous about doing the, the new chapter, reflecting back on some of the things over the last 15 years. But I am a bit disappointed too, um, and I have to tell everyone there, I hope everyone goes out looking for it and, and gets it, because we'd love to get it back into the bestsellers list. Um just that the publishers have let us down, and there's... No books in the shops at the moment. Oh, 
I'm or sorry. even on Amazon. We can't believe it now. They said they're printing it, but it's going to take a few weeks. Like, um, mm. it is very, very dis- disappointing. But I know we have just come through, you know, the pandemic and all of that. That we can't use the past as an excuse as well. So I'm going to be still saying to people, you know, even though it's it's not there yet, go into your shop and look for it, you know, order it from them, you know, because we'd love to get back into the bestsellers list because, you know, when Angels in My Hair came out first, I, I just said to God, you know, if it helps one person, you know, I would be happy. Mm-hmm. But it has helped millions of people all over the world and, and even has um, saved lives mm-hmm. and given purpose, you know, to get on with life, to live, you know. And I think all that is so important too because we all need, you know, that hope and that love and, and understanding. You know, we all need to, what would you say, have you know, more empathy within ourselves yes. in, in that in that way. So mm. I'm, I'm excited, but disappointed. Oh, Lorna, listen, you know, I, I'm disappointed too, because I'm lucky. I have a copy of the, uh, the new print here beside yeah. me and the new chapter and everything in it as well. Please, God, look, come on. You, you're the woman. You can implore the angels. Let's make this happen. You know, it can happen and will happen, I'm sure. But it, it is, you know, I know what you're saying. Uh, you know, you're, you're uh, talking about it extensively at the minute and, and it should be there, but it will. And you've reminded listeners as well to go look for it and it will be there hopefully sooner rather than later. Look, talk to me about, you know, 15 years since it was published. It's a celebration issue uh, since then. The new chapter. Has your thoughts or you know what you brought to the world first has that changed in the 15 years i uh, what would i say yes it has i've noticed you know an awful lot of positive change changes in the world and in a sense you know people's attitude now i know there's a lot of negativity there at the moment and and this fear but again we we just need that that hope and the light of hope is burning I can see it. So I, I know we can do it. Um, and I, I, I suppose I, I found it very hard to, in a sense, I, I just said to God and Archangel Michael, but how do I reflect, you know, um, that's part of the human emotion. And I suppose I'm not as good. Well, I always believe I'm not as good as, as that. And one thing Archangel Michael just said to me, you know, speak from the heart. And that is what I have done. You know, I've told um, either one or two stories and I have, in in a sense, you know, realising how incredible the last 15 years have been. And I haven't really thought of it, but to me, it's not about me. It's about you, everybody else out there in the world. And as I said, if you can save one life, you know, that's just something enormous, mm. you know, in mm. that in that way. So one thing I have been asking people is, you know, give it to people that don't know about it because we'd love to reach another couple of million people. Like at the moment, I'm having a lot of teenagers coming in saying they found me on YouTube. Yes. You know, mm. and it has made a huge difference to them on the way they're looking on things. Um, and that's what it's about. It's it's really to help us to, 
what would I say? Realize that we're we're not alone, and and that we have a soul, and you know we can love. You know we we can have, you know, passion and and love, and in in a sense, you know, not to be judging each other with our differences. Yes. You know, in that in that way. Mm. Um, to reach out and, and to help. And just even when I hear from a 14-year-old, you know, coming in on the prayer school, you know, saying, you know, I found you on YouTube and you saved my life. I was going to kill myself. You know, and it's not me. It's whoever, how would I say, you know, sometimes I would even get a letter from someone who would say a stranger handed them the book. You know, like there was a young man, he told me he was getting off the sub train, I think that's what he called it, and he had the book in his pocket, and he knew there was a young man behind him, and as he was getting off, he turned around for those two or three seconds and handed it to to him and said, this is a great read. And he just said to me in the letter, Lorna, if, if that young man reads that book now and it gives him purpose or saves his life or gives him hope. It was well worth it. Absolutely. Touching one life is amazing, but all you have touched is incredible. You you spoke to me, I remember, when you were here all those years ago and you could see my uh, archangel as well surrounding me. And people ask this question, you know, and of course there are sceptics, we know that anyway, Lorna as well, who say, what are you talking about? How does that woman see them? There's no such thing. What do you say to people like that who, who have that attitude? Um, I, I suppose maybe, you know, I would just say to them, you know, what have you got to lose? Nothing. You know, just about mm. your, that word I find hard to pronounce, your scepticism to to one side. You you only can gain. Um, you know, everyone has a guardian angel, whether you consider them good or bad, there's a guardian angel right there with them. And and I see them, and I don't know in the sense why God allowed me to see them physically as I would see you now if we were in the same the same room. Mm. Um, but but God has, and I I guess you know God has had the angels teaching me all my life, you know, and out in nature, and making me so aware of my soul as well. So I know now at this age, it has taken me, you know, I'm still learning. Um, that I'm not just seeing through my human eyes, but I'm seeing through the eyes of my soul as well. Mm. And I would always say to people as well, why wait till the last moment of your life and only at that moment realizing that you have a guardian angel and that you have a soul? And by the way, God is real. I can imagine, in a sense, humanly, for that split second, that can be a shock to a human person. Yes. But why don't we discover that now, mm. you know, um, and be that loving and kind person, you know, giving that hope, that compassion to others, not judging others. You know, we, we judge hardly, hard, I can't say the word, but, you know, hard. Um, yes. 
and ha- we should be loving. Yes, we're, we're harshly. We we treat harshly, people harshly at yeah. times, and I we hear what you're saying. And, and when you think of the world, Lorna, what, like the goodness you see and the goodness you talk about all the time, and th- that we're surrounded by all this, and yet to come back to something you mentioned a little earlier, when you look at this world, you look at the war going on, you you look yeah. at the strife, you look what's going on in America at the moment, and that country is in a real division. You know, nearly fifty-fifty between uh, the the various sides there and everything else famine you name it do you never lose hope you know and people often you know look at the news listen watch you know read it it's bombardment of negativity no i i don't lose i don't lose hope at all because i i know we can we can do it we can change we we have the choice those wars shouldn't be happening. There shouldn't be famine either. You know, there shouldn't even be climate change. It's in a sense we've just, what would you say, the human part of us, not the spiritual, not the soul part of us. Um, and we're still in the belief in one sense that material things are the most important things. But I have met many many families that might be losing a child or husband or wife or someone they love closely. And they would give all those material things away for their loved one to live. Mm. And and again, why do we wait till that last moment, you know, to realise this? Yeah. You know, so it's not, I know the famine is there and, and I know, you know, there shouldn't be, there is enough of food in the world, you know, and everyone should be employed. You know, it, it's all poverty in one sense and poverty piles on top of poverty. It's like, even in our own country here, we have poverty in, in the sense, the way I look on it is in, um, you know, the health board and in our schools, we have it everywhere. It just piles on top. Um, and we need to sort all, all of that out. And I know we can. And do you think I, ultimately, I have, do you believe ultimately that it, it can and will be sorted? You know, even in, in a human sense, you know, you mentioned the spiritual versus the human. How will it happen? What's going to change? Well, what I see, what I see changing, I, I could say loads of things to you now, but like when I was in England there on tour, you know, um, you know, it's Ramadan and the lady that was with me was saying, look at the signs there, you know, they're saying God and Allah, you know, for Ramadan and, and all that. And that was a lovely thing. You go back before Angels in My Hair was published and they would have only said Allah. They wouldn't have said God. Mm. We we are changing and we're in a sense connecting spiritually to, to our soul again. And even in schools we're having, which is beautiful, but we're not calling it spirituality or anything to do, do with that. But we're calling it, I think it is, well-being, teaching children about love, about compassion, about, you know, caring and sharing in that in that way. So I see all the positive changes. And, and again, I, I see people, you know, all ages more open. And I know we see people who are mad angry, you know, but they're hurt and we have to love them as well. Because we have to understand their hurt and tell them it's, it's okay. I've had people come right up to me and say, um, I can't even remember the words, but horrific things to me, you know, and I would just, my heart would melt. You know, they would be calling me all kinds of names, but my heart would melt. So 
my love for them and I would tell them I love you. You know, mm. those, their anger, you shouldn't allow anyone's hurt or anger in a sense take away that love and I suppose we have. Yes. You know, it's mm. it's like, you know, you hear of shootings of children in schools in America, you know, and even here in Ireland, Northern Ireland, we have, you know, those those meetings that are going to go on, you know, to get the government back in Northern Ireland. And I always remember, I think, um, Angel Elijah telling me, even though peace had come, I never thought I would be alive to see peace come in Northern Ireland because from the time I was a tiny child, God and the angels have had me praying for peace for Northern Ireland. And they were telling me it would come and that Northern Ireland would be the cornerstone of peace for the world. But when they said it was like on a very fine thread and being here now in this time and seeing that fine thread could be broken, to me that is frightening in that way because I don't want it broken. Mm. Because again, in the time I was in America and I was invited to, you know, some private meetings of leaders from other countries um, one of them came up to me and and said, Lorna, how come, you know, Northern Ireland has peace? How did they do it while watching? And that helped me to understand why God had said, you know, Northern Ireland is the cornerstone for peace, because if Northern Ireland can do it, the rest of the world can. Yes, and I think no at this time, what's yeah. happening. Yeah, and, and you know, on this anniversary, we're hoping that that peace will continue and be solidified. Look, I have to leave it there for today. I, I, I'll say a prayer for you to my guardian angel that your book will appear in the shop sooner rather than later and that difficulty will be overcome. But you are a lovely woman and you bring peace and you bring an awful lot to so many people, not just here in Ireland, but all over the world. And I know you have a huge following. And I thank you again for joining me today and good luck with the 15th anniversary edition of Angels in My Hair. Well, thank you. Thank you very, very much. And thank you to all of your listeners as well. And let's make it number one and let there be plenty of blessings for everyone in the whole world. Well said, Lorna. Thank you for joining me again. Take care of yourself. God bless. Bye bye. That's Lorna Bourne there. Angels in My Hair. She's coming our way. Miss Shania Twain. That don't impress me much. I'll tell you, Louise Walsh, what has impressed me really much since I arrived back here today. Maggie McGuire's oh, tree. Yeah, it's fab, isn't it? Wow. Mm. It's well, really well, bright well. and uplifting. It's brilliant. I got a message in Rome, so I didn't. I thought there was an emergency about this tree, but I went in to see it when I arrived back today. It's wonderful. In case people don't know what we're talking about. We were talking after Christmas and I think I suggested to Maggie, would you not keep the... <laughs> she loves Christmas. <laughs> Maggie Maguire is Mrs. Christmas. She is. And she loves... Mrs. Claus. Mrs. Claus. And um, I said, would you not think of keeping it up all year? And, you know, her eyes just went bing. Mm. <laughs> and the tree has been up in the office since Christmas. With the gunks. Yes. Very important to mention the gongs. But she's decorated it for Easter. Mm. It's beautiful, isn't it? With the eggs. I think this woman is onto something really Mm. special here. The Easter Christmas tree. Uh, It's amazing. Easter Christmas tree. Yes. (laughs) The Easter Christmas tree. It's simply amazing. It really, really is. I'm taking it back. I salute her. She's brilliant. And not alone that. Seasons. Altogether. <laughs> no, no. She's Seasons to, and celebrations. No, remember, 
the summer's coming. There has to be an angle on that as well. Halloween will follow as well. And then we'll be on the run into the Christmas itself this year. I think she has a multi I think it's fab, thing. but how would you dust it? What do you mean? Oh, well, it has to keep like up there for 365 days. It has to accumulate dust. <laughs> you have to shake the tree. Every Sorry. now and again, turn it upside down. Off there, just give a little blow there. Nearly blew the microphone out of it. Anyway, just give it a blow, and the dust goes off. Don't worry about that. And then round the room, she has. Mm. Oh, the room is just a a shrine to Easter at the moment. So it is well done, Maggie Maguire. I think we'll and have to put up a picture later on social media. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I have it. I went and took a picture of it. And well done to Alicia McCluskey. Alicia, Alicia's in the middle of it as well, and <laughs> going with the For flow. Going with the flow. That's it. Going with the flow. Anyway, well done, ladies. It's fantastic. Fantastic, Maggie. Well done to you. It's just simply you have superb. have to leave loads of eggs under it now tomorrow. Yeah, that's the next thing. Yeah, the Easter bunny has to come for sure. Anyway, up next on Late Lunch, it's our doc, Dr. Kate McCann. And she's talking today about the pros and cons of personal aesthetics. Dr. Kate McCann joins us again on Late Lunch. Hi, Kate. Hi, Jerry. Thank you for uh, being with us again today in the show and an interesting topic indeed you're addressing today. I want to quote you here. You say, the only people who will ever touch my face if and when the time comes are consultant dermatologists or consultant plastic surgeons. Why? You know, it's a really good question, Jerry. And, um, and you know, it's really because of the lack of regulation in this industry in Ireland. So I think a lot of people are don't even think about the fact that that everyone in a spectrum from um, a beauty parlor all the way up to you know and you know a qualified hospital, you know is an off, is offering to inject your face, and they really should be asking some questions about. Um, you know, the lack of regulation. So when I talk about saying that, you know, if and when my beautiful face may or may not need a tweakment, um, you know, I'm going to really ask the, the most qualified person to do that. And there's a lot of practical reasons and safety reasons for that. Now, fillers people would know about, people have had mm-hmm. them done and perhaps are thinking about it in the future. But I wasn't just quite aware that if this goes pear-shaped, uh, complications such as blindness, tissue damage, etc. Is, is a real or perhaps a possibility. Yeah, so this dermal fillers are, are, I know it's been talked about, about a lot, and I'm, I'm hardly the first doctor in Ireland to talk about this publicly, is fillers are are nearly unregulated. Uh, almost anybody can go on and you can order it. It's technically a metal, medical device rather than a, a medication. So um, very little restriction on the sale, uh, the sale of it, very little restriction on somebody giving it. However, if you don't really know your anatomy or if, there's, if you accidentally inject the stuff into a blood vessel in the face, if that blood vessel is one that feeds um, the blood vessel that feeds your eyes, your vision, or ones that feed some um, areas of your facial skin, then you can end up either with some skin damage or even damage to your vision. Now, in the hands of somebody who is a consultant dermatologist or is a consultant plastic surgeon, in their stu- in their rooms where they'll be doing this, they will also have a, an immediate reversal agent. They will be highly trained in how to immediately deal with that emergency and reverse it. But that is only a prescription and highly tra- and highly skilled um procedure if you're getting it done by somebody who doesn't have that level of skill the reversal agent isn't going to be available to you 
And that's a very, very important uh, point to make because when it goes mm. wrong, it is really, really difficult then to, you know, claw back and regain what you've lost. Explain to me as well, because you, you're, you're, you've been writing about this, an aesthetic doctor or a cosmetic doctor, is there a difference between those? Not really. See, the term, there are terms that we know in Ireland that things are a protected term and not a protected term. So um, when it comes to cosmetic or aesthetics, anything, the term's not legally protected. So, you know, the training that someone needs to declare themselves and advertise their services as cosmetic or aesthetic isn't protected. So you could have the spectrum of training and skill there is very, very wide. So really, you've got to tread carefully. And the message you want Mm -hmm. to get across today is that uh, really, you know, this area of a speciality, if you like to call it, is quite unregulated. Is that what you're saying? It really is. Absolutely. And there's in there's spectrums and, um, you know, in there and it, it is there's very little to guide. And they're really consumers. I mean, they are patients. We're talking about patient safety. But at the end of the day, it's also consumers. And there's and there's not a lot to to guide consumers out there. Um, through this minefield of even considering the difference of, you know, getting it done in um, in something as advertising as a clinic, um, you know, and I guess the whole thing would be is the, the, the less training that somebody has, that means the smaller their scope of practice and the smaller someone's scope of practice is, if you go to them and you say, hey, uh, look at these little wrinkles, or these, these bags here, um, would you think you could do something about them? The smaller someone's scope of practice is, the fewer options they're going to offer you because they're only going to be able to offer what they do. Um, so the larger someone's scope of practices, the more expertise they have, the more training they have. When you go to them and you say, oh, look at these wrinkles, look at these bags, oh, I'd like to have that fixed, the more options that they're going to be able to put on the table. Talk to me about Botox for a minute because we're talking about fillers and, and uh, the dangers there. What's the difference? Does it, does it come with the same health warnings? Botox is actually marginally safer. Um, again, assuming that someone's been properly trained in good in good injection technique, um, that the drugs have been sourced from a reputable source, um, and that you know. And, and the other thing is that you're really looking. We're not even talking about is that final cosmetic outcome. So the more experienced someone is, the more of an expert they are, the more that finished look going to be what you want. Now, people look at these procedures and uh, I need to remind you, they look at the cost. For some people, it's not an issue. You mm. know what I mean? They, th- that's it. They go with the flow. But for other yeah. people, they look abroad. They look abroad for, you know, this type of tourism. Turkey, just mm-hmm. one country that comes to mind. There are others as well. Yes. What do you say to somebody considering going abroad? I, I can't say this strongly enough is just don't. I think uh, we are getting bombarded from everything from from uh, cosmetic dentistry to um, cosmetic procedures such as uh, such as uh, breast augmentation or tummy tucks, all the way to even more worrying bariatric surgery. Mm. Um, and we do have, and I know everyone would know a story they've seen in the paper. Every there's been a, there's a story quite regularly in the paper about patients coming back with sepsis, patients coming back with adverse anesthetic events. And the regulations are quite loose. And the packages that are offered are not comprehensive care. I mean, they're offering things such as VIP airport transports. 
I got to be honest, a limousine transfer is not preoperative care. It's not postoperative care. So you'd be against that completely. There's a message from a listener said, just to let you know, Jerry, my daughter works in Dublin and it's not unusual at lunchtime for her or colleagues to pop out and have a, a Botox procedure done because it says it stops them from frowning. My, oh my. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that isn't that just something you know that it's so uh, uh, commonplace and and as uh, come they go they as that as well. It's just a, a general comment I read you there that's just come to me. Oh eight six eighteen hundred six five eight by WhatsApp or text if you want to talk to us today about this or anything else. Um, just on the whole area, like we're talking about, you know, Botox, fillers, yeah. beauty, the way people look. Talk to me a moment for, you know, weight loss, because, you know, weight yeah. and beauty, they're interlinked no matter what way you try to put it. But what about bariatric surgery? What's your view on that? So I have very strong views on this, Jerry. This is where I enter the conversation. Is that Honestly, weight is not beauty. And they just, and weight loss and weight management don't belong anywhere near the beauty industry. Full stop. Um, and so, if patients do do uh, do ha- are above a healthy weight, where their weight is impacting their health, then they really should be seeking qualified um, care. Mm-hmm. Um, and that shouldn't be offered through an aesthetic clinic, whether it's an injection, whether it's um, a, a procedure such as a lap band, which just shouldn't be done. Period. Let alone an aesthetic clinic. Patients should really be getting comprehensive care, which is going to involve um, a consultant endocrinologist. It's going to involve maybe a bariatric surgeon, a qualified bariatric surgeon, you know, in a, in a comprehensive hospital setting. Um, but, yeah, the 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 use of, um, you know, injectables in the beauty industry is just it's just not safe. Um, and it's not what it's not what um, uh, obesity management medications or surgery were designed for. So just to repeat that again. You dispel that link altogether. Weight is not beauty and vice versa. It is not. No, weight, it, weight everybody is beautiful. Absolutely, everybody is beautiful. And so, you, so, you know, losing weight to be more beautiful, I, I just, I kind of reject that. I think it's an unhealthy message. But where weight is impacting health, well, then that's a health concern and you deserve comprehensive and qualified expert health care. And you do emphasize again that, you know, despite how anybody looks and um, it's really good to read you say this, that it really beauty comes from within with everybody. It, it really does. And as I said, I think there's two important things to say is that, you know, cosmetics and aesthetic are absolutely wonderful. If, you know, if you love yourself, you love your 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 body, you are beautiful. And a tweakment is a way to reward yourself or look your best and feel your freshest then it's a positive thing. When you feel that you need to use cosmetics to change yourself um, because you you don't feel that kind of body positivity, that's when we're in dangerous territory. And this is also that spectrum of training of, you know, the, the, more, the more trained a doctor is in cosmetics and aesthetics, the more they're attuned to making sure that you're in a good mental place to go through this. Mm. But yeah, the, what you said there about the um, the beauty does come from the inside. I think a lot of what we do in beauty is really to mimic the appearance of health. And if we are taking the shortcut of looking healthy without actually being healthy, the outcomes are never really great. That's so true That's what so you true. say there. You can go this route. I know I, I, I really get that now, Anna, and it's dawned on me. You know, you can uh, tweak the outside to mimic good health, but really... 
it, it's not the answer. And of course, uh, areas we've covered before, myself and yourself talking, the whole area mm. of smoking, excess alcohol, sleep, uh, etc. Et, et All those issues, if you attend to those, really then, is it fair to say you won't need to tweak that much, hopefully? Well, look, I, I'm not going to judge judge people who who just want to look their best. Yes. They, they've got good body positivity, they live a healthy life, and aging is something they're not ready for. Um, you know, it, it's as long, and this is where I feel that we, that regulation should protect patients because uh, they really are patients. I mean, when you're injecting a face, this should be considered, you know, a, a, a medical procedure once you're using um, medications injecting at someone's face. So, I mean, patient safety becomes key. And I think patients who are, you know, someone who they want to look their best, they're doing their best to take care of themselves and they want to look good. They, absolutely. Um, but they deserve to be safe. And that's and that's where I want to see both as consumers and patients, people be em- empowered with good information to make safe um, and savvy decisions. Last question, half a minute to you. Where do you stand on breast augmentation? You know what? I'm going to say if you're considering it, get it a get a consultation with a qualified plastic surgeon and, and they can advise you on on whether or not it's something that, you know, that, that is something that, you know, you want to consider. I am definitely going to say each woman to herself. That's it. Everybody to their own. But lots of sound advice today from our doctor, Dr. K. Thank you so much for joining me again. Always love chatting to you. We'll be uh, back to you uh, in the month ahead. Thanks, Kate. Thanks so much, Sherry. Have a good day. You too. Dr. Kate McCann there. Check her out on MDOC, E-M-D-O-C, and all the information is there, mdoc.ie. Eric Carmen. Hungry eyes on your late lunch this afternoon. Louise, did you see Trump yesterday? Were you watching the circus at all or did you cop it on the news or did you see him in the courtroom or on the helicopter? I saw the news at six. Uh, I think he was just arriving. I didn't see afterwards on his address to the nation. It reminded me, I was in America when your man went on the run in the car and all the cars were following him. You know the famous basketball player? Oh, yes, yes, yes. That the glove didn't fit. Yeah. What's what's his name? Tell me his name. (laughs) Jesus. Oh my God, I can't. I'm getting stupid. I really am. Anyway, it reminded me of that time when the cavalcade and it was on the television. I was in America at the time uh, when he, he uh, back in those days, it's a good few years ago. Um, the 90s, uh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'd say it was around 1990. What's his name? Oh, the basketball player that... How has that... O.J. Simpson. O.J., O.J., yeah. It reminded me of that time with O.J. Simpson, all that was going on yesterday, and the head of him in the court and the look of him. Of course, he flew back to Marago and said, it's all conspiracy, they're all trying to get me. I'm not guilty of anything under the sun. I don't know. Wow, is the country fractured down the middle, isn't it? It really is. Mm. What is truth? What is lies? Who do you believe? Seems like, I don't know, has, has the, the understanding of truth been lost? I'm not sure. Anyway, it, it seems it has Are you to me. real, Jerry? Are you real? Yes, I am. <laughs> oh, I pinch myself and I'm back here on late lunch. You're back I am. in the room. I'm real for sure, I promise you. Anyway, there's a lot more real stuff coming up on late lunch after three. News, weather and sport on the way. Now, time for this on late lunch. Five, four, three, two... One. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear.
And today it's... The number two from this week in 2007. And it's an unusual one, really, because it was the coming together of big, big rivals. Yes, do you remember the rivalry between Girls Aloud and the Sugar Babes? Well, they put their differences aside, of course. It was a rivalry that benefited both, for sure, and jointly recorded this song. It was originally released by Aerosmith back in 1975 and written by the famous Steve Tyler and Joe Perry. Yes, the song is called Walk This Way. Why did Girls Allow Then Sugar Babes come together to record it? I'll tell you why. It was for comic relief. A wonderful charity. Indeed, it was on just a couple of weeks ago on the BBC again. Anyway, this song went to number one in the UK singles chart, but in this particular week, it was number two. Let's hear Girls Aloud and Sugar Babes cover Walk This Way. Yeah, the uh, number two from the charts this week back in 2007. It's Sugar Babes and Girls Aloud Walk This Way and we'll bring you the number one tomorrow afternoon round about this time on Late Lunch. Thanks for all your messages, uh, texts and WhatsApp this afternoon. Really do appreciate them. And do remember, if you want to get in touch with us on Late Lunch at any stage on the show, out of hours, lunch at lmfm.ie. That's lunch at lmfm.ie. Gets myself or Louise. If you have a story or a guest or you want to send us any bit of information, do use that email address for sure. Final break of this Wednesday afternoon of the show and afterwards I'm joined by a young woman who along with her sisters have just completed the Paris Marathon but for a reason. The Cassidy sisters, twins Neve and Emma and Ashling completed the Paris Marathon at the weekend for a very special weekend and representing the Cassidy clan today is Neve. Hello Neve. Hi, how are you? I'm really good. Do you know what I'm going to tell you? I don't know. I know your daddy well and I knew your <laughs> mammy well. No, I'm not sure your dad knows everybody. So that's Yeah, but can I tell you how I know them? When they were living in Drogheda, yeah. Myself and your mum and dad and others did night classes together. We did a marketing course together and I met your mum and dad way back then. Lovely, lovely people. Oh, that's mad. It's a small world. Isn't it a small world indeed? It really is. Well, look, at rather than you and me having a private conversation, Eve, we better <laughs> let the listeners in on this and tell them all about uh, this marathon and why you did it, please. Um, so well, we decided, so I decided at first to run a marathon and then when I was chatting to my friend Maeve, we just said we, that we may do it for charities as well and then I kind of, I suppose we were talking at home about it and then Ashley said she'd do it as well and then Emma said she would sign up, she kind of by peer pressure I think a bit that we'd all do it and then we we're going to think then about what charities we do it for and I suppose it didn't really take too long Unfortunately, my mum passed, our mum passed away in June 2020. Mm. Um, and we've got a lot of support from the three charities that we chose, the Irish Cancer Society, Mead Palliative Care and the Gary Kelly Centre. So I suppose it kind of answered itself. We didn't really have to think too hard about who we'd be donating to. So we just said that we'd split anything that we raised between, evenly between those three charities. It's just great that you're giving back because they meant so much to you and your mum during the time uh, when she 
you know, needed all these people and they were there for her and for you as a family as well. Um, what was your intention? You know, what did you think? Had you even a, a figure in mind we'd hope to raise this amount? Yeah, so when we set up the GoFundMe originally, um, we kind of put the goal as a thousand. And kind of between ourselves, we were kind of like, oh, we might get to about three maybe. Mm. But we've been absolutely blown away by the response. So we're up over uh, 15,000, I think, at the minute. Um, and we're going to leave it open for the next week. Um, wow. And then we'll split it evenly then between the three. But we've been absolutely blown away. Everyone's been so generous. Um, we can't believe it, but I suppose we were saying... That's the three charities. I suppose everyone has a bit of experience with at least one of them. I suppose every family mm. has been touched by cancer or you know something yes. like that. So in that sense, I suppose maybe that's possibly why there's been such a good response to what we've put out there. Oh, I ain't one bit surprised, but I say it here most days. You'd just be astounded by the generosity of people, and especially Irish people when the causes call Irish people respond and I always say that's a wonderful trait that we have. You Neve and Emma, the twins, right? And Sister Ashling and your good friend Maeve uh, ran the marathon in Paris and Dad Michael joined you for the last 11k. Is he in good shape? He did, yeah. Um, so I think there was a minute there when we signed up that he thought about doing the full thing and I think then that was short-lived um, and he said then he'd join us for the last Mm. 11 or 12k so he was doing his own bit of training then as well but I think he's actually probably more sore than any of us after doing the full one as well mm. um, so I think we're all resting now at this stage but yeah it was lovely to, for him to be able to join in as well and make it a whole family experience uh, well done to him and pass on my congratulations to him and good know, wishes as well won't you please but uh, yeah. you know going back to that time June 2020 a very difficult time for you as a family and for lots of people who found themselves in the grip of COVID at the time. And, and sadly, when your man passed away, the regulations were very strict. Yeah, yeah, no, extremely. And I suppose our main goal at the time was to be able to keep her at home because at that time, as everyone kind of knows, in hospitals, you weren't really allowed to go in and visit. And mm. so our family's most important thing to us. So we kind of fought really hard to be able to keep her at home. And I suppose that meant that we all kind of took on the role of looking after mum at home. Um, and then until palliative care and the Irish Cancer Society could step in. And then even as was after, it wasn't even, you know, you couldn't really be with your friends and family at that stage then either. And, you know, the restrictions in terms of the funeral and the numbers and everything, it definitely wasn't easy. But then it was, as I was saying earlier, in a way, it was really lovely that we were all at home because of COVID. We hadn't lived under the one roof in years of college and work and different things like that. So I suppose in the run-up the last couple of months that we had, it was actually really special that we were all at home together. Mm. Audrey was a great old battler, wasn't she? Because when she was diagnosed with the incurable brain tumour, she was only 50 at the time, she yeah. was given a short time, but she, she lived for, what, two and a half years? Two and a half years, yeah. I suppose mm. In that sense, we're one of the really lucky ones. Um, and you know we really cherished every moment that we had um, and she was incredibly strong and just kind of an inspiration to us all Oh yes and I say again she was a beautiful lovely woman I have to say that she was and knowing her personally and your dad as well what a lovely family but you know in this in Paris I'm sure it wasn't lost on you you know doing the marathon she was with did you feel she was with you like I often ask people this that she was there driving you on We did I suppose it's because even everyone that was messaging us, sending us good luck messages, they were so lovely and kind of reiterated that kind of to us. And then I, I was running with Ashling and it, we both kind of had our tired stages at different stages of the race. And I, I kind of, when Ashling was getting tired, I said that to her. 
and the two of us kind of nodded and we looked at each other and I feel like definitely the strength came from within then. Um, it's kind of a lovely kind of bit of support thought to have for mm. yourself in, when things were getting hard in the last really few kilometres. Yes, of course. So uh, was this the first marathon for all of you? First marathon for all of us. Wow. Yeah, Dad, Dad actually did the Dublin one years and years ago now, but the first one for all of us. It was lovely to be able to cross that line together as well. Yeah, what was Paris like? How was the weather and conditions? Yeah, no, it was incredible. Like the race day itself, it was actually perfect running weather. It was dry. There was only a little bit of a wind um, and it wasn't too hot either. It was really, really perfect for it. Um, so then after it, when it when we did finish, it was cold. But then on Monday, we all were there on the Monday then. Mm. And it was sunny. It was lovely. Really, really nice weather. So it was perfect running weather. We were lucky we didn't get the heat on the Sunday. Yes. Um, but it was perfect running weather. So it was kind of what we were used to at home, just without the rain. What a memory, like, to go to Paris, remember your man, raise all this money, you know, run around one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Memories, memories, indeed. Let me ask you this. Would it put the goo on any of you to go again and do another one? Yeah, 100%. Um, like, I know I already want to, to do another one, definitely. Um, and I know when we crossed the finish line, we got a, a text from the Paris Marathon, the company, and it said the registration's open for 2024. Myself and Ashley were kind of laughing. We were saying this is probably a little bit too soon to be signing up. <laughs> But um, no, definitely, definitely be something I would like to do again in the future. Um, maybe it's a nice way to explore a new city, I suppose. You get to see yeah. all the sites in a different way. Absolutely. So Audrey Cassidy, in her own inimitable way, is helping uh, the Mead Palliative Care, the Irish Cancer Society and the Gary Kelly Cancer Support Centre as well. And at least, as you mentioned me there, there's going to be, the money is split evenly between them all. They have 5k each at least. But there's still time to contribute, ladies and gentlemen. Remind the listeners about the GoFundMe page. Um, yes, we just set up a GoFundMe page. And if you just search, if you go onto the GoFundMe website and you search Paris Marathon Fundraiser, it'll come up and it's really easy to donate um, and it would just be really appreciated by all of us and by the charities even more so. It certainly will. So Paris Marathon Fundraiser, GoFundMe, you'll pick up all the details there and if you know the Cassidy family, Michael, Audrey, the girls, uh, well, look, they'll be very thankful for every euro you can contribute and it is making a difference in other people's lives as well. You're fantastic, Neve. Pass on my congratulations to Emma and Ashling, and well done too to good friend Maeve and to Dad Michael for doing the 11k. Uh, he got the easy side of the draw this time. You can tell him I said that anyway. Uh, great to chat to you today. Well done to one and all. Thanks a million. Take care of yourself. Bye, Neve. Take care. That's Neve Cassidy there. Isn't it a wonderful gesture in return? People are wonderful. They never forget. They give back. Lovely story to finish late lunch this spy Wednesday afternoon. That's a lot on the show. One more show this week, tomorrow, Thursday. I'll be back with Louise at 1.30. Do join us then. Uh, we'll be talking about fish from the start of the show. Yes, we will. And Good Friday in context as well as we pay a visit to Kerwins in Drogheda ahead of the Good Friday. See you tomorrow, 1.30. Eddie Caffrey's on his way with the drive. Have a lovely evening. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Get- Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss.